Good morning. Thank you for joining me. Um, if you would, turn with me over to 1 Samuel chapter 16. Um, today we're going to talk about something that the modern church doesn't really like to hear. Uh, we're going to talk about something that our flesh is opposed to and something that doesn't come naturally to me personally, um, and that is serving Serving someone else is so completely unnatural and foreign to us because it requires us, the individual, to accept that someone else's need is more important and more valuable than your own time. So what could be more valuable than your time? What could be more important to me than me? Well, the accurate response for most of the world today is uh, nothing. Nothing's more important than me. No one is more important than me. And we see it every day. We see it um, in the workplace in particular. You know, people will lie. They will deceive. They will conspire and scheme also that they might be esteemed for a job that would replace them in a matter of hours. The problem is that people esteem themselves far too much, far too often, and for far too long. And this is what our current culture is teaching and indoctrinating us to believe. You know, I used this example before, but allow me to use it again. Um, the casting, uh, the band Casting Crowns has a song called Only Jesus. And they accurately articulated our current climate uh, it goes like this uh, in, in one verse. It says, make it count, leave a mark, make a name for yourself, dream your dreams, chase your heart, but above all else, make a name that the world remembers. This one verse encapsulates the current American ideology, and this is not the attitude of a servant. This cannot be the ideology of a born-again Christian. You know, Stephen Davey once told, uh, once said, not once told me, but he once said, if you were to ask me when I had just come out of seminary school who my favorite biblical teachers and preachers were, I would have rattled off a whole list of celebrity preachers. But if you were to ask me that same question now, I would give you a whole list of people that you've probably never heard of. Now, what I think he means by that is these men and women, these, because the, the same thing rings true for me. If you were to ask me when I first became a Christian who my favorite teachers and preachers were, I would have named off, um, you know, John MacArthur at the time, probably David Platt, Ray Comfort, these guys. But nowadays, it's people that are in my inner circle because these men and women who are faithful Christians they simply believe what they confess. They are individuals who understand that a call to salvation is also a call to a lifetime of service. You know, God calls us to serve others sacrificially and with joy. But whom does God call to serve? So I want us to look first this morning at one of the most famous accounts. So I'm going to uh, pull up our scripture today. 
I'll be reading out of the New King James. Here's our scriptures that we're going to be using. So we're looking over in 1 Samuel chapter 16. So um, just some context here. Saul is king, and God had told the Israelites that they didn't need a king. If you remember back, uh, make sure you read this. Don't take my word for it. But the Israelites were crying for a king because everyone else had a king, so they needed a king. But God told the Israelites, you don't need a king, for I am your king. But they rejected God's plan, uh, so he gave them what they asked for in Saul. So Saul then became their conqueror, not their king. He didn't lead them, but he ruled over them. He didn't serve them, but he served himself through them. And he turned from following God. He did not uphold the commandments, is what we we're told. So he, so God rejected Saul as king. And now a new king must be appointed by God. And whom did he choose? So I'm looking at 1 Samuel chapter 16. I'm going to read verses 1 through 13. It says, Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. But the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one I name to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. So I imagine Eliab was a pretty big, pretty big guy. Uh, I mean, if, if Samuel thought he must be the anointed, I assume he probably looked similar to Saul in stature. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his physical appearance at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him for the Lord does not see as man sees for man looks at the outward appearance but the Lord looks at the heart so Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel and he said neither has the Lord chosen this one then Jesse made Shammah pass by and he said neither has the Lord chosen this one thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel and Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are all the young men here? Then he said, There remains yet the youngest, and there he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ready with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him. For this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So, where is David during all this? 
he is remaining steadfast as his father's servant. And why did Jesse not call David to come with the rest at the beginning? It's because he did not esteem David. Jesse did not esteem David. He did not consider him. He counted him of little value in comparison to all the others. So in other words, like we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, Jesse hated him. Jesse hated David in comparison to his brothers. But this is whom God chooses. And what were the qualifications that David met? What did David do to be chosen? Nothing. There's nothing that David did in order for him, for God himself, to choose David. God simply chose David because that's who he chose. That was his will. Now look all throughout scripture and you will see that there are a few patterns that when it comes to whom God chooses, there are patterns there. He chooses the weak. He chooses the hated, the worthless, the forgotten. You know, quite simply, oftentimes he chooses the least qualified in man's eyes. But why? Because they are not weak but they are meek. They are not hated, but they are the loved. They are not the worthless, but they are the priceless. They are not the forgotten, but the faithful. Because God does not see as man sees, looking at the outward appearance, looking at the presumed, but he looks straight into the heart. Do you know who God really chooses? Most of the time, he chooses the least likely. And he chooses the least likely so that he might receive the most glory. Look at me. For those of you that know me and have known me in a previous life, you couldn't imagine that that I'd, I'd be here today where I am in the position that I'm in. Look at yourself. Could you really have imagined in your wildest dreams, especially in your youth, that the creator of the universe who knows you by name, who loves you and wants you specifically, that he chose you out of everyone else to serve him in the way that he's called. Oh, how do I know for sure though? How can I be sure? How can I know that he has chosen me to serve? Let's turn over to Matthew chapter 25. I'm going to be reading verses 31 through 46. And this is Jesus speaking. He says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory, and the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. 
Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, Inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into ever into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me in. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, Assuredly, I say to you, and as much as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. God has separated his sheep from the goats. His, he says that his sheep know his voice and they listen and they follow him. So if you are truly his disciple, then you will humble yourself. You will lower yourself. That's what that means, to lower yourself. And you will serve him by serving others. Your faith will be made manifest through your works. The fruit that you bear will be the evidence of the type of tree that you are. The fruit and the works alone are not your faith. I do not want to be misunderstood. Your faith should not be in your works alone. Nothing you do, nothing that you do can cause God to love you more. Nothing that you do is going to help help your chances of entering in the kingdom of heaven. It's not your wor- your works that save you, but it is your works that are proof of the of of the work that has been been done in you. Your faith should not be in your works alone, but true faith will be expressed through your servanthood to God. See, we were brought out of the bondage of sin so that we might be made slaves to righteousness. God's expectation of us as his children now is to exude love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And if we are not serving others sacrificially, are we really displaying these characteristics? Now, for those of you that are wondering, well, am I serving enough? The answer is probably not. Because I don't think you can serve God too much. But I will say be careful that you are not neglecting the other roles that God has called you into in order for you to do things like feed the hungry. You know, there there are ways that we can serve people. I mean, infinite ways, really, that we can be serving others and serving God by serving others. 
but be careful that you don't neglect the responsibilities he's already given you. If, if you are serving others or you are serving God in any capacity, almost every waking minute, but by doing so, you are neglecting your responsibility as a parent or as a child or as a student or as a teacher or as an employee or an employer, then you need to fine tune your priorities. Because I know that I am to, to, that, you know, God comes absolute first and then my wife and then my children and then my job and then everything else. Be careful you don't get those things out of whack because it can happen. You'll put so much emphasis on one thing that it will be the only thing. Now, many people believe that this rarely happens and I was one of those people for a long time but but, I, but my mind has been changed um, and I think that if you believe that way if you think that that rarely actually happens that you would be surprised because there are times that the individuals get so caught up in their service to God and their service to their brethren that they neglect their own families it's actually because of this very reason that there is a stigma around preacher's kids, right? The preacher can get so caught up in his kingdom work and in his flock that oftentimes he will forget about his more important role as a father and a husband. Now, on the flip side, Christians, uh, me, I, think that I'm doing too much, right? There's times that I think that I'm piling on too much and I think I need to back off a little or I'm working myself too hard. But really what I'm doing is I'm just making excuses not to serve him. You know, I'll say things like, well, I just don't know that I have enough time to prepare a sermon. But somehow I will find the time to watch the office all the way through for the 82nd time. You know, I can find an excuse not to witness to my friend and coworker, but somehow manage to tell him a joke that I probably shouldn't have. See what I'm saying? Is that for those of us that think that, oh, I need to back off a little bit, make sure that that's true and that you're not just being selfish with your time. Because if you will actually look at how much time you spend at certain things, you will understand where your priorities really are. So my question to you is, are you answering the call? Because most of you that are here watching are most likely born-again believers. You know, most of you have probably answered God's effectual call to the cross and have put to death your sin through the sacrifice of His Son, Jesus Christ. But have you stopped there? Or have you answered his effectual call as his servant? Because Galatians 2.20 kind of sums this up. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And people will read that and say, praise God. Amen. But they neglect the second part of this verse, which says, And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You know, we agree that I've been crucified, but how many of us can actually say with confidence that our lives look like um, 
this over here. Our lives actually look like a life that I now live is the son of God in the flesh because I live in faith. I, I can't say that. I can't say with confidence that my life looks like that. But it can. My life can look like that. And you, you might ask, well, how? Well, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, I'm going to be reading verses 12 through 17. It says, And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Now, I, I want to stop here for a second and give you some context. So this is Paul writing to Timothy, encouraging him to continue with his, with his ministry. So let me read that again. And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a, pro, uh, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. However, for this reason, I obtain mercy that in me first, Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. God is long-suffering with us. He is so patient. He waited 21 years for me to li live a life of carnality and in that time through my salvation and my sanctification he can now show people through me his love and long suffering and much to, to a much greater extreme with Paul I was giving you my real life example but with Paul who actually persecuted Jews who who sought to murder Jew, uh, Christians I'm sorry who sought to murder Christians and is guilty of that that God is so long suffering that he showed his long suffering pattern through Paul You know, that Casting Crown song that I mentioned sums up what I'm trying to say in the chorus. Because they say, I don't want to leave a legacy. I don't care if they remember me, but only Jesus. I've only got one life to live, and I'll let every second point to him. Only Jesus, because Jesus is the only name to remember. How does God enable us to serve? He enables us through his son, with his gospel, that he is entrusted with us, his children. But make no mistake, if you are a good and faithful servant of the one true God, you will face scrutiny, and it will be difficult at times. It will make you uncomfortable. But God does not call us to a life of comfortability, but to a life of righteousness. 
God has made a promise to you, his son or daughter, if we continually pursue a life of righteousness. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 through 12 say, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day greatly desiring to see you being mindful of your tears that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice and I am persuaded is in you also therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. So God has promised us, he's promised me, eternal life, because I am not ashamed of the gospel, for I know whom I have believed, and I know whom I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed him until the last day. There is no greater promise. So whom have you been serving? And then look at that service. What has your intentions been through serving? The common question has is have you answered his effectual call to grace? But in answering that effectual call to grace, have you answered his effectual call to servitude?